that uh, I would preach on a uh, traditional Christmas message, uh, and this is about as close as I, I get, I think. So, Matthew chapter 1, we'll start reading verse 18 in just a moment. Now, I want to ask you a question as we start, why is it, and I think I, I kind of hinted on this last week, why is it the most wonderful time of the year, you know, Christmas time? Why is it that for a lot of folks, it's not the most wonderful time of the year? But it seems to be the most depressed time of the year, the loneliest time of the year, the most expensive time of the year. I think, folks, it's my opinion, but I think many of you probably know this as well. One of the reasons is that we're trying to extract the wonder of Christmas from all the wrong people, all the wrong places, or all the wrong practices. I mean, for our world in general, and kids in particular, and specifically, the wonder of Christmas tends to be centered around what? Around gifts, around giving gifts and receiving gifts. Now, I want to clarify something. I, I, Easton's not here to object to me this morning, uh, as he did last week. Uh, but he thought, I, he, he heard what I said, but he didn't comprehend what I said. He thought that I was shouldn't give gifts. There should be no presents or anything like that. He objected to that, and rightfully so. And you may be thinking, I can't believe that a young, that, that a little boy like that, a young man like that would object. Uh, he was listening to what I was saying. Oftentimes I want to ask how many adults are listening to what I'm saying. But I want to make something real clear, folks. I'm not against giving gifts, and, and, and I'll admit to you, there is something wonderful, something that's joyful about giving the right gift to the right person at the right time. You know what I mean? How many of you can remember back when you were kids? Some of you may have stretched a little farther than others. But you remember back when you was kids on Christmas morning? Coming into the den of the living room on Christmas morning, what was your focus on? It was on them gifts. It wasn't about whether the turkey was going to be done for lunch or not. It was on those gifts. Well, I grew up the same way. Uh, you know, in our house, uh, my brother and I, Danny and I, were very blessed. We had generous parents. They give us uh, many times uh, quite a few of the gifts that we wanted, but they were also practical because they give us things we needed. And you know what? One of the things every year you can count on being under our Christmas tree. Who said that? What'd you say? There you go, huh? That's it. I mean, can you think of a more practical gift, especially to give to kids, to boys? I can guarantee you just about every year, Danny and I, we were going to get tube socks and tidy whities I mean, and, and here, here's the practical thing about it, folks. When those toys that we got were broken, when the interest had faded away in them or the batteries run out or, or whatever it was, we were still wearing those socks and underwear. Again, my parents knew what we really needed. They were practical. Well, let me say this to you. Our loving Heavenly Father is the best, the greatest, the most extravagant gift giver there ever has been and ever will be. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 7, verse 11, If you being evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Heavenly Father give good things to those who ask? Our Heavenly Father oftentimes, Christian, He lavishes on us those great gifts that we really want things that we desire in our life. Does He not? 
He is so gracious to us. But let me say this to you. The greatest, the priciest, the most extravagant gift he ever gave was of course his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And it's by him that our sins are forgiven. It's by him we are reconciled to God. It's by him that we have an eternity of joy and an eternal life to look forward to. You know, Paul has a Christmas verse, 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 15. You say, I've never heard that Christmas verse. Well, it really is a true Christmas verse when you think about it because it tells us just exactly why it is that, that as you've heard people say so many times, Jesus truly is the reason for the season. This is what Paul says, 1 Timothy 1, 15. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. Here's what I want you to grasp, folks. The eternal, perfect Son of God entered into all this messiness called humanity for the purpose of rescuing us for eternity. That's why He came. And only when Christ captures your heart, only when He becomes the joy of your life, do you truly grasp the wonder of Christmas. And that's what I'm talking about this morning. Look with me. Let's start reading Matthew chapter 1, beginning verse 18. It's a very familiar passage. I know you've all read it, all heard it. Now the birth of Jesus Christ was on this wise. When as his mother Mary was a spouse to Joseph before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Ghost. Then Joseph, her husband, uh, being a just man. Now her husband, I've told you before about the uh, Jewish ceremony, Jewish marriage. Uh, he was engaged to her, but they considered once you're engaged, your husband and wife. This, the marriage is not consummated until after it's all said and done. So they came together, uh, before they came together, they were husband and wife, they're engaged, they're a spouse to one another, and she's found to be with child. Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man, not willing to make her a public example, was minded to put her away privily or secretly. But while he thought on these things, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a dream, saying, Joseph, thou son of David, fear not to take unto thee Mary thy wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Ghost. And she shall bring forth a son, thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. Now all this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken of the Lord by the prophet, saying, Verse 23, Behold, a virgin shall be with child, and shall bring forth a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which being interpreted is God with us. Then Joseph, being raised from the sleep, did as the angel of the Lord had bidden him, and took unto him his wife. And he knew her not till she had brought forth her firstborn son, and called his name Jesus. Father, today, as we think about this very familiar passage, I pray that we would grasp... Uh, God, it would come alive within our hearts and our lives, the true wonder of Christmas. We would realize that the wonder of Christmas, Father, is not just for a certain season, but for your children. For those of us who know you, it is to be year-round. We're to be enraptured with the wonder of Christmas. I pray we would see that this morning. In Christ's name, amen. Now, there are three truths about the first Christmas that I think can fuel the wonder of Christmas for you right now, but also, as I prayed a moment ago, also year-round. And it ought to be that way in a Christian's life. The first Christmas, think about this, the first Christmas reminds us God sovereignly changes our plans at times to guide us for His glory. Now, 
Let me ask you a question. How do you feel when you hear the words, there's been a change of plans? <laughs> yeah, everybody cringes on that. Oh, you got to be kidding me. I mean, that, we don't look at that as good news, do we? Uh, rarely is that good news. How many of you remember back in the 80s, the television show called The A-Team? Remember watching that? You know, uh, Mr. T, B.A. Baracus, and, and uh, uh, you know, I, I used to love watching that. I was a, a teenager when it first came out. But uh, the end of every show, and there were good shows back then because they always whipped the bad guys in 45 minutes or less. But at the end of every show, after they had whipped the bad guys, everything worked out for good, Hannibal Smith, the, the colonel of the group, he would always smile with a big smile. He would light that big stogie cigar and put it in his mouth, and he would say these words, I love it when a plan comes together. Well, let's just admit it up front, folks. We all love it when our plans come together, do we not? But we, I mean, honestly, we love it when they come together, but we can get riled up when something doesn't work our way, when our dreams, our plans get changed or rearranged or abandoned altogether, we get upset about it. How many of you remember the cartoon strip Calvin and Hobbes? That was one of my favorites. I, I love Calvin and Hobbes. Now, in case you don't know what it's about, Calvin's a little six or seven-year-old boy, and he's very mischievous. And he's got a stuffed tiger named Hobbes. Now, he's the only one that can see the tiger come to life. And the tiger is actually like his conscience. Tries to keep Calvin out of trouble all the time. Old Hobbes does. But Calvin don't listen very often. Well, I love that cartoon. Let me read you one. This was uh, during the Christmas time one year. The, the cartoon, it showed Calvin, and he wrote a letter to Santa. He said, Dear Santa, every year at this time I send you a list of what I want for Christmas, and every year you callously ignore it. You bring me practical things. What's the deal with that? Are you insane? Have you gone senile? Can't you not read? Are you just a vindictive, twisted oaf bent on destroying a little kid's dreams? That's a letter he wrote to Santa. Now Hobbes, his stuffed tiger, that's his conscience, Hobbes reads the, reads the letter and he says, you know what, Calvin, you might want to sleep on this one before you mail it. Calvin said, I know I should, but it sure felt good writing it. Well, folks, let me, let me say this. Don't we feel like that with God sometimes? When God messes up, God changes our plans you know why we feel that way? Why we get upset with God? Because we have the audacity and the arrogance that we know better than God does about what's best for us, for our future. I want you to consider what God says in Isaiah 55, 9. As the heavens are high, uh, higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. You know what God's saying? God's saying, I have to change your plans because your plans, they're way too small. God says, i got to change things. Your perspective is way too limited. Now, Christian, let me give you some good news. Every time that God changes the plans for one of his children, changes their plans, you know what God's doing? He wants to treat you better. He wants to take you farther. He wants to lift you higher than your plans ever could. We bristle up, though, uh, when God changes our plans because... We can't understand some of the tough and painful things that God allows into our lives. Let me illustrate it to, illustrate it to you like this. Life is a lot like a chocolate chip I love chocolate chip cookies. I finally got some Christmas cookies the other day. I love all kinds of Christmas cookies, but, but chocolate chip cookies are my favorite. How many of you like chocolate chip cookies? 
all the ingredients that go into the chocolate chip cookie. Now, some of those ingredients by themselves, hey, they're pretty tasty. You got sugar, you got chocolate chips, uh, milk. Is milk in there? I didn't think it was. I didn't remember seeing y'all. They made them the other day, and I was watching. Uh, I can cook a little bit, but I don't make, bake and make cookies and stuff. But uh, you got sugar and chocolate chips. They taste great, right? But other ingredients by themselves, they don't taste so good. Baking soda, that's bad. It's bad. I find no use for it whatsoever. But, but in a cookie, you know, it needs to be in there. Uh, raw eggs. I'm sorry, I'm not rocky. I don't eat raw eggs. That's nasty. That's disgusting. But I know eggs are in there. And you see, these individual ingredients, like I say, some of them are good. And we like them. But some of them, most of them, they're bad by themselves. But it's only when you take all the ingredients and you put them together and then you put them under intense heat, that's when something glorious happens. That's when something wonderful comes about, something awesome. Now, I want you to listen to me, friend. Just like that cookie, your life, my life, they got many highlights that by themselves are wonderful. But if you have other days, you may have great things going on in your life from time to time. Thank God for it. But then there are other days that are painful, that are bewildering, that are boring, uh, that you can't imagine any reason why God allowed you to experience that. But let me tell you something. God allows that because God not only sees the individual ingredients of your life and my life, he understands how those individual ingredients affect the whole of your life. And grasp this concept. God sovereignly controls. He chooses or allows every ingredient that goes into your life because He has sovereignly chosen the purpose of your entire life. And what is God's purpose for each and every one of us? To be like Jesus, is it not? Is that not God's purpose? That we can be conformed to the image of His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ? The first Christmas reminds us God sovereignly changes our plans to fit his chosen purpose for us. Now I want you to look at verse 18 and 19 again. Now the birth of Jesus Christ was on this wise. When as his mother Mary was espoused to Joseph before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Ghost. Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man, that means a righteous man, and not willing to make her a public example, was minded to put her away privately or secretly. Now, i got to admit, and I think you will too, this is, I'm sure, not how Joseph and Mary planned to start their life together. God changed their plans. Mary, while she was still a virgin, is found to be with child. Now, we know that's not how things work. I mean, virgin girls don't just find themselves pregnant one day. Pregnant and virgin, they, they don't really belong in the same sentence together. But here's what you need to grasp. Many biblical historians... They say that at this time, Mary's probably in her second trimester, and she's beginning to show. And Joseph, his world is spiraling. Can you imagine? It's spiraling out of control. I know nowadays it's no big deal for, uh, and, and please don't take me wrong, but it's no big deal for a woman to be pregnant out of wedlock. In those days, it was a big deal. You'd be stoned to death for it. And so Joseph, his life begins to spiral out of control. His plans are changing. His dreams are starting to die. The 19th century philosopher Soren Kierkegaard, he said, life can only be understood backward but must be lived forward. Now think about this. Wouldn't you love to be able to go back in time to this time 
with Mary and Joseph and to tell them, hey, these changes that are taking place, they're wonderful. They're miraculous. They're marvelous. I know you can't see it right now. But understand, these changes that are taking place is going to bring about the greatest thing this world has ever known, has ever witnessed. And to tell them that, that, that you don't see it now, but one day your faith, it's going to inspire billions of people. Your troubles are nothing compared to the treasures that you're going to experience forever. Wouldn't it be great to be able to tell them that? You know what they'd have probably done? They'd probably went ahead and shook their heads and said, no, I don't think so. I don't believe you know what you're talking about. Somebody said, if you want to make God laugh, tell him your plans. Well, God's plan from our temporary view, our earthly view, folks, oftentimes his plans are perplexing, frustrating. They're fearful. They're painful, disappointing. But from God's eternal view, his plans are always beautiful. They're always perfect. Now, I know you're sitting there thinking, now, preacher, are you saying that God has a plan for everything so we shouldn't make plans? If you're hearing that, you're not hearing what I'm telling you. No, you ought to plan. We got, especially, we got a new year coming up this next week. You ought to make your plans. But what I'm telling you is this. You need to hold on to those plans loosely. Understanding, having the knowledge that God can, God will, and at times God must change your plans. Let me give you some verses. Proverbs, out of the book, all of them out of the book of Proverbs. Proverbs 16, 1. It says we make our plans, but God has the last word. Proverbs 19, 21. You can make many plans, but the Lord's purpose will prevail. Proverbs 16, 9. We can make our plans, but the Lord determines our steps. Now, I'm just wondering, those that are here today, those listening on Facebook, what changes has God made in your life that you're still grieving over? that you're still upset over. And you know what God wants you to do? He wants you to dry your face, wipe your tears. God wants you to get past your disappointment, and he wants you to begin to do what he has for you to do right here, right now. When God changes your plans, always remember this. He wants to treat you better, take you farther, and lift you higher than your plans could ever do. Second thing I want you to see. God routinely amazes us. You know why he does that? To humble us. Remember what uh, Isaiah the prophet said, God's ways uh, are higher than our ways. God's thoughts are higher than our thoughts. Verse 20. But while he thought on these things, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a dream, saying, Joseph, thou son of David, fear not to take unto thee Mary thy wife, for that which you see is conceived in her is of the Holy Ghost. And she shall bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. Now all this, look at verse 22. All this was done that it might be fulfilled which was spoken of the Lord by the prophet saying, Behold, a virgin shall be with child and shall bring forth a son and they shall call his name Emmanuel which being interpreted, this is important, God with us. You know the angel, what he does is quote the messianic prophecy from Isaiah seven fourteen. Now, I want you to understand something. Joseph, being a the devout Jew, a righteous man, a righteous Jew, there's no doubt that he knew that prophecy, and he knew it very well. But let me tell you this. What you need to understand, no Jew ever interpreted that verse to mean that literally a virgin would miraculously become present, uh, pregnant by God and with God. What they assumed, and history, historical records bear this out, what they assumed is the Messiah's mother would be a chaste young bride, but she would conceive a child in the usual manner. 
No one ever thought, they did not believe, that Emmanuel literally meant God would become flesh and dwell among us. Yet they were all wrong. And God amazed Joseph and Mary with the truth that the the baby she was carrying is the Messiah. And this baby is going to be fully man and fully God. The angel says, you shall call his name Jesus. Now, Jesus is the Greek, uh, alliteration of the Greek version of the Hebrew name Joshua, or Yahshua, which means uh, Yahweh saves. Yahweh, the great I am, is the one who saves. But look at verse 21 again. Notice this. Mary will bear a son and will call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. The angel says Jesus will save his people. But Jesus, that very name, means Yahweh saves or the Lord saves. So which is it? Does Yahweh save or does Jesus save? The answer is yes. Folks, that's the whole point. Jesus is Yahweh. Jesus is the Lord. Jesus is God. That baby in the manger is fully God. You know, you'll hear people, and I've had them do this with me over the years, uh, people who profess to be Christians, but people who disbelieve the deity of Christ, and they'll make claims like this, well, Jesus never claimed to be God. I'm like, what? What? One of two things. Either one, you've never studied God's word, or you studied it and you're twisting it for your own ends. What do you think Jesus meant when he said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father? Not only did Jesus proclaim he was God, Scripture prophesied he'd be God. The angels professed that he was God. And the God the Father pronounced that he was God. That baby was fully and completely God. But let me tell you the other side of that miracle. It's just as amazing and mind-blowing. While Jesus is fully God, he's also fully human. This is proved throughout the Gospels. Study the Gospels. Jesus was fully human. He was fully human physically. He was born as a baby. He grew up as a child. He became a teenager. He grew to be a man. He ate. He drank. He slept. He bled. He died. He was in every way physically human, just like you and I. He was also fully human mentally. Uh, Luke chapter 2, verse 52 says Jesus increased in wisdom. So he had to learn to read, to write, to add, to subtract, just like everyone else did. Jesus wasn't born. He didn't come from the womb quoting scripture and preaching repentance. Understand, he came from the womb just like all the rest of us, uh, kicking and screaming bloody murder. Jesus was fully human physically, mentally, but third thing, he was also fully human emotionally. You study the life of Jesus Christ in scripture. Study the things that Jesus taught, the way he spoke. It'll be enlightening to you. He was... Fully human emotionally, he loved, he laughed, he cried, he grieved, he cracked jokes with his friends. And oftentimes Jesus used sarcasm to make a point. He had a sense of humor. You say, why is that important for our faith that Jesus is both fully God and fully man? Well, let me give you two reasons. You ready? Reason number one, Jesus is able to identify with us. He can identify with us. Here's a verse, Hebrews 4 verse 15 says, for we do not have a high priest who cannot be touched with the feelings of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. So that verse tells us that Jesus doesn't just feel sorry for you. It says he sympathizes with you. Now there's a big difference. To have sympathy means to suffer with or share the same feelings with someone. Because Jesus personally experienced the pains, the limitations 
of being human, he can sympathize with us. You know what that means, friend? That means he has felt what we feel. He has been where we're at. He's been through everything that humanity, the life of being human, can offer. He understands. Yet he went through all of that without sin. What that means is whatever you're going through, you can be assured Jesus is not uncaring. You can be assured Jesus is not uninterested. He's not unaware. What does Peter say in 1 Peter 5, 7? Casting all your cares upon him, for he cares for you. Now there's two words there, cares and cast, or casting. And you know both those words in the Greek are in the present tense. I've told you this before. You know what it means when something's in the present tense. It means it's a continual action. So what Peter is saying is, as you continually cast your cares upon Jesus, he is constantly, continually caring for you every day in every way possible. He understands us. You know, one of the biggest lies that Satan wants people to grasp, and especially around the holiday time, he wants people to, to grasp this lie or get a hold of this lie that nobody understands and nobody cares. I'm going to tell you that's not true. Jesus identifies with your sorrow, with your struggle, with your heartaches, with your hurts, with your pain because he's experienced the agony of humanity with an intensity that none of us will ever comprehend. Jesus isn't a Savior distant and disconnected from you. Jesus is a Savior who was once like you and is God with you, God with me. He can relate to us. Jesus' humanity means he identifies with us, but more importantly than that, Jesus' humanity means that Jesus is a substitute for you and me. Isaiah 53 5, He was wounded for our transgression, bruised for our iniquity. The chastisement for our peace was upon him, and by his stripes we are healed. Because God is holy and just, he's going to punish your sin the way it deserves. And you know what your sin deserves? It deserves death. So God's going to punish it that way. But because God is also gracious and loving, he comes up with something that is amazing. God implements a plan where he could punish your sin the way it deserves without punishing you the way you deserve. And God had this plan prepared before the foundation of the world was ever set. And God's plan was that because of his justice, he would bring the consequence of sin. But because of his grace, he would bestow his compassion on the sinner. That all came together in one man, the man I've been talking about, the God-man, the Lord Jesus Christ himself. Jesus lived the sinless life we were supposed to live, but didn't. Because of that, he was able to die that death we deserve, but we don't. God's declared in his mercy and love that Jesus can take our place and take our punishment. Jesus can die the death for you that you owed. He can pay the price for your sins that he never committed. Because of his humanity, Jesus can be your substitute. Friend, that is a miraculous thing. You might say, well, preacher, I still don't know why he had to be fully God and fully human to do that. Okay, put your theological thinking caps on for just a minute. Think about this. All humans are imperfect. Amen. The Bible says we've all sinned. We've all fallen short of the grace of God. All humans are imperfect. The only way Jesus could live a flawless human life was to be fully God. But because God cannot die, the only way he could die as our substitute was to be fully human. You say, I don't know how that works together. Join the club. 
I don't either. But I'm telling you, that's what the Bible teaches us. He's the God man, the only one ever has been, the only one ever will be. Fully God and fully man. Jesus had to be fully God to live sinlessly. He had to be fully human to die sacrificially. Listen, friend, that's why the miracle of the incarnation of God, the miracle and the wonder of Christmas, God with us, that's why it's our only hope of being saved. Without the incarnation, we would never be reconciled to God. If God hadn't took it upon himself, we would never be reconciled with God. I love a statement about the incarnation J.I. Packer makes. He says, it is here in the thing that happened at the first Christmas that the profoundest, most unfathomable depths of Christian revelation lie. The more you think about this, the more staggering it becomes. i got to tell you, I've been studying about it for over 30 years now. And every time I read it, the more staggering it becomes. The more amazing it becomes. Emmanuel, God with us. That's what Christmas is. That's the wonder of Christmas. When you look at the birth, life, death, the resurrection of Jesus Christ, what more could he do to prove that he is Emmanuel? He is Emmanuel. He is God with us. I mean, the evidence outweighs any argument. Reminds me of a prosecuting attorney standing before a judge one time. And, and the guy was on trial for uh, uh, being a fraud. And the prosecuting attorney said, Judge, I want you to throw the book at this guy. Our records show he's been arrested at least four other times for selling this bogus fountain of youth pill. <coughs> the judge said, it's a bogus fountain of youth pill. That's right, Your Honor. <coughs> he said, our records show <coughs> he was arrested back in 1990, back in 1880, back in 1770, and back in 1660. <laughs> Folks, sometimes the evidence outweighs any argument. That first Christmas reminds us that God sovereignly changes our plans to guide us for His glory. It also reminds us that many times, routinely, God amazes us to humble us. But also the third thing, God continually uses our obedience to bless us. The first Christmas reminds us of that. You know, a lot of people, and I'm going to try to say this the right way and say it in, in a reverent way, but a lot of people get the idea that, that to God, we're like trained dogs or trained seals. You know, if we just jump through the hoop, balance the ball, roll over and play dead or whatever, then he'll give us the treat that we want. Let me explain something to you, friend. Our obedience is not for God's entertainment. It's for our benefit. Do you understand what I'm telling you? God calls us to obey even when it's difficult. God calls us to obey because he knows within it, through it, and the result of that obedience is his power, presence, and blessings overflowing in our lives. Look at verse 24. Let's take Joseph for an example. Then Joseph, being raised from sleep, did as the angel of the Lord had bidden him and took unto him his wife. Now we may not have, and there's not one recorded word in Scripture of anything that Joseph ever said. You know, I made this comment before. If they ever ask you to play Joseph in the Christmas pageant, that's not a compliment. Joseph don't do anything. He just stands there by the manger with the sheep, never says a word. Now we may not have one word that Joseph said recorded in Scripture, but we have several things that Joseph did that shows his obedience to God. And you know, I love the idea when God was looking for a stepdad for his son, he chose a man that would listen to him 
and a man that would be obedient. That would follow, just follow obediently what God says. Jesus went on to say uh, in his life when he got older, he said, even more blessed are all who hear the word of God and obey or who put it into practice. You know, there was a song years ago come out, Frank Sinatra, first one I believe is sing it called uh, I Did It My Way. Seems like a lot of folks have that attitude. We're going to do it, we're going to do it our way. Joseph didn't do it his way, he did it God's way. And you know what? Doing things God's way, let me be real clear with you. It's not easy. Think about Joseph. Because he was obedient to God, there were situations he couldn't explain. There were problems he couldn't solve. There were questions and rumors that he couldn't squash. I'm sure there were inconveniences that he would never have chosen for himself. But he obeyed anyway. He obeyed. And, and what? think about this. With that obedience to Joseph, through his obedience, because of his obedience, God deeply, eternally blessed him. And think about it. He blessed us because of that obedience. Listen, do you know why Jesus lives within his people? Y'all know this, Christian. Because he's called us to live a life that to live without him. Christmas is the ultimate adventure story. You know, you, you hear the Christmas story all the time, the babe in the manger and the wise men and the shepherd, the sheep, the angels, and, and all and those things are great. But you know, truly, the Christmas story, it's a, it's, it is the ultimate adventure story. Think about this. Nobody left more security than Jesus did. Nobody left more safety than Jesus did. Nobody faced more threats, dangers, and perils than Jesus faced. Think about this, friend. He endured the full hate of man and satisfied the full wrath of God. We think of Christmas as chestnuts roasting an open fire and jingle bells and Frosty the Snowman and la 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 and all this other stuff. That's not where the wonder of Christmas is found. Christmas isn't about ease. The true Christmas story is not about ease or comfort. It's not about safety. It's not about security. You will not find these things in the crew Christmas story. It's about danger. It's about risk. It's about mission. And it's about faith. But listen to me. That's not just what Christmas is about. Christian, that's what we are to be about. Those same things. You remember the verse that Paul spoke in Philippians 3.10? He said, I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection, that mighty power that raised him from the dead. I want to suffer with him, sharing in his death. Now I'm going to close right here. I want you to listen to me. A person filled with the awe of Christ, filled with the wonder of Christmas, they're able to say that what Paul said there. Let me put it in modern English for you. God, give me something great to do for your kingdom, and I'll give up everything. My safety, my security, my desires, uh, my plans. Even my own life, I will give it up to do it for you. Friend, that's when the wonder of Christmas has truly grasped your heart and you truly understand it. Thank God for that first Christmas. Amen. Thank God that Emmanuel, God, came to be with us, to be one of us, to be with us. And he came for the purpose to save sinners. Every one of us here today qualify. If you've never met him, you've never never surrendered your life to Christ. And I know you hear people today, a lot of these new reformed 
theologians say, well, I don't like that, surrender or accept Christ or whatever they want to say. Let me make something real clear to you. If you have never stopped living for self and began living for Christ, you need to do that today. Because that's why he came. That's why we celebrate Christmas. A Savior came. He came to forgive you your sins and to reconcile you with God. Without him, you'll never be reconciled and you'll never have any hope. None in this life or the life to come. Again, that's the one and I thank God for Christmas. I thank God for the Savior. Would you bow your heads, please? Father, as we conclude this service today and have a time of invitation, I pray for those who need to make a decision, who need to quit living for self and begin to live for you, begin to live for Christ, begin to be obedient to what you have called them to do. And Father, I pray for those that have done that, but, but maybe they're not living a the life they should. Well, this is the perfect time, God, to humble themselves before you and once again get on the right path, get on that narrow road. I pray for those who uh, maybe have other difficulties in their life right now. God, you know what they are. I pray they'd understand that we have a Savior who knows all about us, who knows everything we face because he's been there, he's experienced it. Father, I pray they'd be reminded to cast their cares upon him because he cares for them. Whatever decision a person needs to make this morning, I pray they'd do it. They would make that decision. They would do it now while there's still time. And we would give you the praise. In Christ's name, amen. Would you stand, please?